0: Proverbs 18 is where we're gonna be at this morning. We've been in this series called Worship and Wisdom uh, now for several weeks, bouncing our, our way back and forth between the books of Psalms and Proverbs, taking a look at what God has to say to us about developing a big vision of who he is, but also how do we walk wisely in this life. Uh, We've said so far that the book of Proverbs and the Proverbs wisdom in the Bible, we've said it this way, wisdom is not a door that you ever walk through, it's a path that you walk down, that you put one foot in front of the other and you keep moving in the same direction. So you never arrive at wisdom, um, but you're continually accumulating and learning and growing and God is stretching and showing and challenging and changing you as you put one foot in front of the other. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Proverbs chapter three, kind of the first, the the steps of wisdom. Uh, Whenever we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. See, the steps of wisdom is continually day after day after day after day, waking up, fixing your mind on the Lord, and putting your feet firmly in, 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 in him and trusting his word that day trusting his word to be true, not leaning on what you think, right, but leaning on what God knows because he knows everything. (laughs) He designed life, he designed the way life is to work and so the the, the steps of wisdom are saying, you know what, I'm I'm gonna stop resting on what I think but I'm gonna start resting on what God knows. And that's what it is to walk down that path of wisdom. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, you see this idea of wisdom come up over and over again. And on the flip side of one being wise, the the Proverbs also speak of an individual who's called a fool. Now, I don't know anybody knows who goes, sign me up for that, right? That's kind of my aspiration and aim in life is to be a fool. But the Bible does speak of us as fools at times, particularly when we adopt and embrace particular ways of operation and how we conduct ourselves in life. A, A fool in the Bible is essentially this, right? It's a fool is someone who is so wise in their own eyes that they don't see all the damage and destruction they're leaving behind them in their wake. They don't see the damage and destruction they're doing to their own life. They don't see the damage and destruction they're doing in the lives of others because they're so wise in their own eyes. They do what seems right to them. They follow their own opinions and own understandings and do not seek out counsel or wisdom or advice or understanding from anyone or anyone anyone else. That's what the Bible calls a fool and that leaves a path of carnage behind them. A couple of, uh, last year, our students are heading to camp this morning, but last year at camp uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, we went there two years in a row. Um, beautiful setting in the mountains, um, and both of those years, Kevin Wheat and I, one of our elders, we decided we were going to take some hikes, right? We are going to take these kids up the mountain. But before we took them up the mountain, last year we decided we were going to go up the mountain ourselves. And so we we, we, we we followed a trail a good portion of the way there up toward the peak. Now the peak, I think the summit of it was around 10,000 feet, the base of it was around 8,000 feet, so about Two thousand foot climb. Well, we found a, a trail that kind of went about halfway up to what we thought was the summit of this peak that we were trying to get to, uh, but we couldn't find any way that that that, that the the, the in, any further trail. So we decided we'd make our own, right? Um, back in my day, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it was a year ago. Uh, but we we decided to try and make our way up this 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 hill, and we got about uh, two thirds of the way to the top. and still couldn't reach the summit, so it was time for dinner. So we came back around, and when we came back around the other side, we found this little enclave carved in the side of the hill that looked eerily like a bear den. Now, I'm I'm I, at that point, we were both like, "Brother, I hope, I hope like." I'm going to trip you, you're going to trip me. Somebody's going to be put like, like, like last man down, right? And so we, we both were walking by. This looked like a bear den. And so I, like, we kept getting eerily closer to it because there's just something about just just curiosity, right? So we want to peek in and see. Now, fortunately, there were no bears in the den, but had there been, it probably may not have been a good encounter for us as that bear was probably recently had come out of, would have recently come out of hibernation been a little bit hungry um, and we might have been appeared to be a threat to it and so it might have gotten violent with us but I want you to consider something the fool in the Bible it says this in Proverbs chapter 17 verse 12 it says let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly I want you to think about that the Bible says it's better for you to meet a mama bear whose cubs have been siphoned off from her and sold to the circus and meet her along the path than it is to meet a fool operating in his foolishness. It'd be, more, it'd be better for you to meet the bear on the way in the wilderness with no weapons to defend yourself than it is to engage in relationships with a fool in their folly. That's, that's pretty strange. Stark language, isn't it? The Bible takes foolishness pretty seriously because there is damage and destruction that follows after it. And one of the benchmarks, is what I wanna do the rest, rest of our time this morning, is give you a little bit of a test case, a benchmark to see if you're operating either as one who's putting their feet on the path of wisdom and walking that path or if you're living like a fool. Because in the Proverbs, there's really only two options. Either you put your feet on the path of wisdom or you continue to live foolishly. And so when I want to give you a test case for whether or not that's a reality in your life. Which one of those is a reality in your life? In this particular area, because in the Bible, one of the types of people that is called a fool are those that isolate themselves from others, and they live on the basis of their own opinions without seeking counsel or understanding from anyone about anything. Our text this morning is in Proverbs chapter 18. Verses 1 and 2. And I want you to hear what the ancient sage says when he writes. He says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Now, almost, make no mistake about it, right? There are some people who have what you might call, um, like, they're too public for their own good at times, right? Uh, they have what you might call uh, TMI atosis. Okay. I don't know if you watch Doc McStuffins, if you've got little kids, especially little girls, right, you're familiar with the big book of boo-boos, okay, right, and she's always adding an itis or a tosis every episode as it comes along, right, so my, mine is tmi atosis, right, and so they just constantly live in public light, right, they post everything on social media platforms and channels, right, they live completely out in the open and there is no discretion in their lives, but that's not who this proverb is talking to this morning, It's talking to people who are too private for their own good. People who are too walled off and closed off for their own good. People who have isolated themselves from community and are living based on their own opinions and own understandings. They have no governors in their life. They have no sounding board in their life. They have no one who's helping them vet and weigh decisions that they're making in their life. That's who this proverb is written to this morning. So I want us to consider several things from this this morning about whether or not we find ourselves here, what this proverb is teaching us and how to move beyond it, right? So the the basic message of this proverb is this, it's foolish to cut yourself off from people, It's foolish to cut yourself off from community. It's foolish to withdraw from uh, having other people who are a part of your life. The word isolate in verse one literally means to separate yourself from others, to cut yourself off from community. It means you don't press into relationships but you pull away from them. It means that you don't have people serving as governors in your life. I can remember as a child we had a little go-kart. My parents bought us to ride around a little one-acre lot that we grew up on in South Lake Charles, Louisiana. And that go-kart had a governor on the engine. You know what that governor did? It kept us from killing ourselves, okay? Right? It controlled the speed of that, the maximum speed of that engine to keep us from killing ourselves, rolling, flipping that thing, and ended up in the hospital with broken atosis, right? That's what it was, its purpose was for. But those who isolate themselves, they have no regulator. They have no governor in their life, They don't allow anyone else to be a sounding board for them. They don't give anyone else the right to speak into the decisions that they're making, the challenges that they're facing, the concerns that they have. No one else is giving input to them, right? And and, and they do this in all areas of life. And whenever people isolate themselves, whenever you pull away, the Bible says that you're acting, you're living like a fool, You're living like a fool to cut yourself off, to separate yourself out from community and to kind of plow your own road, right? To climb up the mountain without a trail because little did we know, about 100 yards away, thousands of people have been trotting the same trail over the course of time and found the easiest way up the hill. But not us. (laughs) Some of us are living that way in much bigger areas of our life than just climbing mountains or ordering sushi. Right? Friday night, I entered into the land of sushiness with some friends at a restaurant in Mesquite, and so I was looking at the sushi menu. They put it out before us, and I'm looking down all the different rolls. And so I asked the waitress because I'd never, I'd always, I'd eaten some sushi that other people had ordered before, but never ordered it myself. So I had the waitress come over and I said, so I'm looking at the prices of these rolls and I'm like, so is this for one roll? She's like, yes. Now, in my mind, one roll was the little slice. I didn't realize it was a whole roll that they chopped up. And so I'm thinking, man, that is steep. I don't know how people roll like that, you know what I'm saying? And so I like oh, maybe I can do four of these. And so I'm like I'm like I got I got to have the experience. I'm here. So order four rolls. <laughs> Little did I know that I was ordering for three grown men. <laughs> right? So when the plates come out, I'm like, "Oh my. That's a lot of rice and a lot of fish and a lot of seaweed." Right? I had no, so I sought, I sought counsel for it. I, 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 I tried to get some idea of what I'm ordering here and, I, and I, there was some miscommunication between me and the waitress, I have a feeling. And so I ended up with all these leftovers, right? But there are much more serious things in life than having leftovers. When it comes to your marriage, is there anyone else who you're operating in the open with? When it comes to how you parent and raise your children, is there anyone else that you're operating in the open with? When it comes to sins that have so easily entangled you over the course of your life, is there anyone else that you're operating in the open with? Or have you separated yourself? Have you isolated yourself? Have you withdrawn? Have you pulled away from relationships? And there's, there's two serious consequences of operating this way. And I want you to consider them both this morning. And The first one is this, is that it will lead you, if, you, if there are certain sins and struggles that you've had all of your life that you're not operating in the open with, about any, with, with anyone about, then what it will do is it will send you further and further and further and further into that sin and, which will in turn lead you further and further and further and further into isolation. Right. There is a reciprocal repeating pattern in life whenever you operate in isolation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, which is probably one of the best little books on Christian community you will ever find in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer led an underground seminary and underground church during Nazi Germany, training pastors, preaching the gospel. Uh, And this is what he says about Christian community and the propensity that we all have to be pushed further into sin whenever we're silent about it and no one else knows. Listen to what he says. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply involved he becomes in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. He says sin wants to have you all to itself. It doesn't want you to operate in the open with anyone about the things that are tempting you, about the things that are enticing you, about the things that are leading you astray. Students, those of you in the room, it wants you to be withdrawn from people. Adults, it doesn't want you to press into other married couples about issues in your marriage. It doesn't want that. It wants to have you all to itself so it can coddle you. And so it can shape you and what ultimately ends up happening, and I've seen this over and over again in my experience in ministry over the last 20 years as people find themselves getting deeper and deeper and deeper engrossed into a particular sin or a life of sin as they find themselves withdrawing more and more and more from the Christian community. And that isolation only fuels the further deepening of their sin issue. It's serious business not climbing mountains and eating sushi. But consider the second one. This kind of individualism and isolation is what it is, right? So I'm going to operate as an autonomous individual without dependence upon anyone else in my life. This kind of individualism, and not only, not only does it drive you into further isolation as it opens up doors and channels for deeper sin, but it also places you under the soul-crushing weight of having to have all the answers yourself. All the answers yourself. Listen, individualism, particularly Western individualism within our culture, it teaches you that you are what you feel. And that you look if you look deep inside, if you look deep enough inside, then you'll discover your identity, you'll discover your meaning, you'll discover your purpose by looking inward. And then you live that out regardless of the consequences. And it sounds so natural and right to say that because within our culture, that, to say anything other than that, to say that you should press into relationships as opposed to pulling away from them, is that you should have a sounding board and a governor in your life called Christian community sounds so contrary to the Western modern American narrative that's being communicated within our culture it's it's completely the the opposite end of the spectrum individualism tells us that, that life is found real meaning and purpose is found is by looking within and then finding who you are and living that out and being true to yourself no matter the cost and there's nothing in within that particular story there's nothing more powerful than the feelings that you have internally But consider the consequences of it, what it produces in your life. It puts soul-collapsing pressure on you. And it begins to erode your sense of any kind of sense of common or shared values with anyone else because you're just dictating to yourself what it is appropriate, right, and acceptable in your life. And Jesus becomes one more option. He may work for some people, but I don't know that he's working for me. But I want you to consider what Eva Hoffman says, and she's not a, she's not a Christian, <laughs> far from it, um, but she wrote a book called How to Be Bored. She's from Poland, um, great title, right? How to Be Bored. And I want you to consider what she says. She says, more than that, more than just a limitless number of choices that we have for our identity in a, a culture that celebrates individualism, of you finding who you are, working that out, living that out, regardless of the consequences. Listen to what she says. She says, we have choice in every area of our lives, from our career, to partners, to our own sexuality, to the sexuality of our partners, to how we want to have children, and she goes on and on and on and on, in this string of seemingly limitless number of choices in our culture, and she says, we live in a very individualistic society, so all of these choices have to be made individually, and this is a very demanding condition, she says. We need to know what we want. We need to know what we think. We need to know what our values are we need to figure all of this out from within ourselves because there is no sort of general code of value system which tells us how to proceed about this very wide range of choices she said we have to have all the answers for ourselves and those who withdraw and isolate as opposed to pressing into relationships they face this soul-crushing weight of having to have everything figured out The Bible says that if you're living that way, I didn't say it, the Bible says you're a fool. You're so wise in your own eyes that you don't see all the carnage and damage that you're doing within you and around you. It's foolish to cut yourself off from community. But we do, don't we, oftentimes? We don't have sounding boards. We don't have governors in our lives. Even in, particularly in these big areas, right? Sometimes we face major crossroads in life or even these minor daily intersections that we might have. And oftentimes we just continue to plow forward with our own opinions, with our own thoughts and our own understandings as opposed to bringing other people into that with us and allowing them to say, you know what, I think you're veering off here. You need to maybe come back. We do cut ourselves off, but why? I want you to consider several reasons this morning. I think there's surface reasons and there's a subterranean reason, right? There are kind of pro- there's secondary reasons and then there's a primary reason. And, and I want to consider a couple of surface ones before we get to the subterranean one. The two surface ones this morning I wanted to talk to you about is this. Oftentimes people cut themselves off and withdraw from Christian community. They isolate themselves because out of fear and insecurity. Right? What will people think about me? Like if I really shared the real condition of my soul, if I really weighed out before them the decision that I was trying to make, if I really allowed them to be a governor in my life, if I really pressed into them, what will they think of me? And some of us are so terrified of what other people will think and so insecure about who we are that we just withdraw and we pull back as opposed to pressing in. Another surface reason might be this, because of past pain. It might be because of past pain. Right? Some of us may have been hurt before in the context of relationships. Some of us may have church hurt right, that we're walking around with. You know what I'm talking about? Church hurt right? whenever you had pressed into community and it didn't go the way that you thought that it would and you felt like everyone else neglected you or abandoned you and so you just kind of move on down the road feeling isolated and, and you feel abandoned and you feel like no one cares and this, it produces this pain Maybe from another pastor or from a small group that you were in or from other church leaders that you had exposure to or experience with. But church hurt creates that tendency to want to isolate and withdraw this past pain. Whether it be in in a, in a marriage relationship that's caused you pain or in a friendship that's caused you pain or church relationships that's caused you pain. Some of us have so much pain that we've just kind of been coddling and nursing like an infant in our lives. Right? Like we, got that, we got that pain all wrapped up in a little baby blue blanket right? and we wake up every four hours in the middle of the night to feed it with a bottle right? and we, we change its diaper and we make sure it's dressed in a little onesie and we lay it down at night after we read to it and we just continue to nurse it and rock it and care for it. We got all this pain from our past that we just coddle and, and, and like a little infant. We just want to care for it. And as we nurse it, it does nothing but get stronger in your life. So whether it be because of fear, insecurity, or past pain, these are just surface level reasons, right? There is a subterranean one, and that's the text, one the text talks about. And I want you to consider the subterranean reason that people cut themselves off from community is this. It's pride. It's pride. See, all, all of your fear, you know where it comes from? It comes from Pride. All of your insecurity, you know where it comes from? It comes from you being afraid that people aren't gonna think you are as important as you think you are. Or that you're not as special and gifted as you perceive yourself to be. It's pride. Do you know where the nursing of that past pain comes from? It comes from your pride. See, pride in in the Bible is, is, is talked about uh, as, as kind of, uh, it, it, if you think of, pride, think of sin like as, as, a, as a, all these issues as a tree, right? Underneath the surface are those, this massive tap root that goes deep down that feeds it and fuels it. It's called pride. And what comes up on top of the surface and onto the branches and all the fruit are all these smaller manifestations of pride, right? If you start with any sin issue or any struggle or challenge and you trace it down to its fruit, almost inevitably it's gonna come down to that one because it's a big one. It's what led our first parents to take of the fruit in the garden and eat. And it's what leads you and I to cut ourselves out of community and cut people off in our lives. It's the surface, it's the subterranean. one. look what the text says. I'm not making that up, by the way. Okay, let me show it to you in the Bible. (laughs) In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1, it says that those who isolate themselves, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A couple of things there to notice in that text. First one is this, if you cut yourself off, if you withdraw from community, if you cut people in community out of your life, it's oftentimes done, the proverb says, to seek your own desire. In other words, at the end of the day, I don't want to have a governor in my life. I don't want to vet and weigh out decisions before other people, because at the end of the day, I just really want to do what I want to do. I'm seeking my own desire. And, and, and it says the result of that is that they break out, and that word literally means to break out in a fight, like a fist fight or a quarrel, against all sound judgment. Right? And some of you see this on a daily basis. Those of you who are teachers in the school system, you see this on a daily basis. Those of you who are parents at times in your homes, you see this on a daily basis. Some of you, those of you who are married at times, you see this with your spouse, At times, because pride gets wounded and we break out against sound judgment even when it's sound and it makes sense and it's rational and it's reasonable because we're carrying around past pain that we've been nursing for a while from our spouse or from our kids or from our coworkers. So even when they say something that makes complete sense, all we wanna do is push back and we wanna spout off, like the proverb says in verse two, our own opinion. Right, that's the essence of adolescence, by the way. <laughs> right? That's just, that's, like, I know I have that to look forward to. Or cry over, one of the two, I'm not sure which. All right, I just want to speak my own mind. I want to speak my own opinion. I don't want to come under anyone else's counsel. I don't want to come under anyone else's guidance. I don't want anyone to be a governor in my life. The essence of it is pride. And so if we're going to move toward people as opposed to away from them, what do we have to do? I think it was on the screen just a second ago. It's this. We've got to learn to cut off the root of pride in our lives. See, it's it's not just, well, I've got to get courageous and overcome my fears. No. That's just surface. I've got to stop coddling this past pain. Yes, but you also have to get to the root of where that coddling has been coming from. And it's your pride, you gotta to learn to cut it off. And the way that you cut off pride from your life is not, listen, it's not by looking inwardly. So many of us wanna try and fix things in our lives by looking inwardly. We wanna look deep within ourselves, right? You don't fix pride, the very deep root of sin in your life, the very deep root of all your insecurities and fears, the deep root of all your coddling of past pain. You don't fix it by looking inwardly, you fix it by looking upward. Consider what the psalmist says in Psalm 86. He says this. He says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. See, what you and I need to do to begin to sever that root of pride in our lives is not look inward because you don't have the resources to fix yourself. Do you know that? Some of us are kind of in a codependent relationship with ourselves, <laughs> right? All right? We want to fix someone, and the someone that we want to fix is ourselves, and we want to fix ourselves with our own wisdom. We want to look inwardly, but what the Bible continues to point us to is don't look inside, but look upward. Don't look inward, but look upward, See, whenever you see that there is a God like whom there is no other, that kind of puts us in our place, doesn't it? That he is up here, we are down here. So will I lean on his understanding? Will I lean on his counsel and not pull away but press in and sever the root of my own importance, my own self-inflated importance in my life? Will I press in as opposed to pull away? When you see that there's that there's no works like His, that all the nations that He has made from every tribe, language, and tongue from around the globe, they will one day come before Him and bow down and bend before Him in worship, and they shall glorify His name, for He is great and does wondrous things. He alone is God. He alone. And listen, I want you to consider this this morning. There's no more wonderful thing that he has done than for God himself and the second person of the Trinity to wrap himself in humanity and become man for sin and sinners. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter one, one of the most beautiful texts in all the Bible about the person of Christ. In verse 15 he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, listen, to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, he says, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him the most wonderful the most glorious the most magnificent and majestic thing that God has done is wrap deity in humanity and become a man to live in our place the perfect and sinless life that we could not live the fullness of God being pleased to dwell in bodily form and that he would go to the cross and he would suffer our punishment. He would take on himself our sin. He would shed his own blood to reconcile so that there no longer be an estrangement between us and God, but that gap would be closed, that we'd have fellowship and intimacy and communion with God. There is no more wonderful thing that he has done than that. And when you look upward and you fix your gaze up here and not in here, It slowly begins to chop away at the root of pride in your life. And it begins to set you free to say, you know what? I don't care what other people are gonna think of me. Because I'm not as important as I thought I was. And so you can move towards others and you can open your life up to them. And you can do what, let me give you, this one point of application as we close is this, is you can begin to operate in the open you can begin to operate in the open. So you can begin to set all your decisions before other people, you can invite people into that so that you're not seeking your own desire because you, don't, you no longer see the need or have the need to be self-inflated or self-important in your life. But now you come under this big God who is majestic and glorious, who has put, wrapped himself in flesh to come and live in your place and die in your place. And so as you come under his authority and you see him to be big and you to be small, then stuff start, can start coming out in the open. And you can start weighing and vetting your decisions before other people and let them into your life and operate in the, open, in the openness. And you can do this. You can cease to rely on your own opinion, but you can let other people speak into the options. Right? See, right now, some of you have walked, you walked into this room this morning, you walked into this room with a concern weighing your heart. What direction do I go? What steps do I take? Where, where, do I, where do I move here? How do we reconcile this in our relationship? All these real life things that you're wrestling with this morning, you walked in this room carrying those concerns or challenges. Let me, cons- let me ask you to consider this when you walk out of this room. Walk out with a resolved commitment to weigh those out before other people. Not to pull away, not to isolate yourself because sin and Satan have you right where they want you if you do. And you will face the crushing pressure of having all the answers for yourself. Are you living, are you putting your feet on the path of wisdom or are you living as a fool? listen, I'm preaching to myself this morning just as much as I'm preaching to anybody in this room. That if Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is, then I have no reason. I have no reason to be afraid or insecure. I have no reason to nurture past pain because I'm not as important as I make myself out to be. Have you ever come to that realization? Have you ever come to see that God is grand and glorious and that I'm, I just get to go along for the ride in his story. I don't have to write one for myself. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus, come under his sovereign and saving rule and begin to allow him to put the pieces back together in your life as he as he integrates you into the life of this thing called the church, his body. And that you would weigh things out before other people as opposed to just making split judgment decisions, split second decisions about what you think is best. If you have not this morning, I wanna invite you to do that. When we're done here, Stephen's gonna come back and leave us in a song. I'm gonna be at room five on your way out. I wanna invite you. I'd love to connect with you. And I also want to encourage you as we move toward the fall and we begin to relaunch life groups here in the life of this church, as the student ministry relaunches here in this church, as we kids ministry continues to develop, right? I want to encourage you, don't pull away from people, but press into them. For somebody, that means that you need to take a step for the first time out of this room into someone's living room and begin the process of opening your life up, operating in the open, allowing people to speak into it. As you make decisions, as you work through issues in your marriage, in your parenting, about job decisions that you've gotta make, about home decisions, whether do we buy or sell, how do we use our finance, opening all these pieces of your life up before other people. That's the beauty called Christian community in the Bible. And some of you, I know some of you want it so deeply. And I want you to consider that the greatest hindrance that you have in that is your own pride. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, your word rings true to us, God, and we know it, know it to be truth. But Father, it's not given to condemn us, but Father, it's given to redeem us that your desire is not that we would continue to walk out of this room and and, and live like a fool. God, your, the Proverbs also teach us that the fool is like one who's been crushed and ground up in a mortar with a pestle, but yet they do not change. And Father, I know in my own life that the times and occasions in which I have made the biggest mess have been those times and decisions in which I have Operated on the basis of my own opinion without seeking counsel. I have not had a sounding board in my life, governors around me. I've had no one else speaking into my life. But Father, I also know you to be good and gracious and you want to piece us back together in the image of your son and a part of the way that you do that is through your church. So Father, if there are folks in this room this morning who, who have just always been operating with this inflated sense of who they are and their importance God I pray this morning they would see that there is none like you there is none grand and glorious like you there is no one who's wrapped himself no God who has wrapped himself in humanity to become a sacrifice for sin and sinners and God I pray that this morning that you would become their confidence that Jesus would become their confidence and they would see that there's a player in your story, God, but they don't have to write their own. And that would free them up, God, to be op- operating in the open with transparency and authenticity and vulnerability before their fellow brothers and sisters. And they would take a step into community and they would push into relationships as opposed to pulling away from them. I pray that would happen this week at camp with our students. I pray, God, that you would help them to see that, that you have not called them to yourself and to this life in the the body called the church, they might live in isolation, God, and try and figure life out on their own, but that you've given them brothers and sisters to lean on, God, that you might speak to them through them. There'd be people there to encourage, people there that they could seek counsel from, so they don't feel like they're just showing up in this room on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but they actually have a network of people, God. It may not be the folks that they would have thought they would be, it may not be the kinds of individuals who are popular and pretty, but God, they would be a network of people whose hearts are secured for you and by you, God, and they would encourage and love one another. And I pray that that same kind of body life would exist in the life of this church young and old and that we would turn our eyes on you and take them off of ourselves sever our pride and move out in the open with others we pray this in Jesus name